This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets, Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Uh, How are you doing, John? I'm great. Uh, Everything is wonderful. Uh, It is a beautiful day here in Indianapolis. Uh, It's been unseasonably warm. Life is good. How are you? I'm good. It is uh, is snowing a lot here, Uh, so not unseasonably warm. Yes, it's coming coming down. But uh, but I I uh, I like the part where you're doing great, which is unusual. Has not been the case. Are you just putting on a, a, a happy face for us? Nope. I mean, I'm a little bit stressed out, but because I got, I'm doing some stuff, but work stuff, but no, life is good. Can I read you a short poem? Yeah, okay. It's by Emily Dickinson. I I really think you're going to like this poem, Hank. I have. Okay, I'll try to listen. I have organized it for you. Okay. This is a Hank Green Emily Dickinson poem, of which there are not many, it must be noted. Uh, it's, uh, It's poem 202. That's how it's usually known. Faith is a fine invention for gentlemen who see, but microscopes are prudent in an emergency. Uh, I liked it. I thought you might. <laughs> I thought you might. Uh, it's one of Emily Dickinson's shortest poems, but also, in my opinion, one of my favorites. Yeah, it, it feels it, it feels like one of those one-liners from that guy who wrote one-liners. Sure. It's also, you know, an interesting thing about this poem is that it's... Um, uh, it's sort of like translated differently oh yeah um like sometimes it's 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 written as uh faith is a fine invention for gentlemen who see and then other times it's written as faith is a fine and faith is a fine invention when gentlemen can see huh well how how is it in for first i have to say i'm talking about the guy who wrote the candy is dandy but liquor is quicker one uh it felt like one of those that's ogden nash yeah but a second, how is Emily Dickinson's work translated when 
She wrote in English. The answer is that I don't know. Um, but the probable answer is that because <laughs> uh, Emily Dickinson's poems were written uh, in drafts and many were never published, or they were only, or when they were published, they were published in highly edited form. It's probable that one of those is the highly edited, non-ideal, non-Emily Dickinson herself form. Yeah, she had she had her editor who, who was like, I don't really understand why people like this person, but I guess we'll keep publishing them and we'll... But we'll make it more appropriate. We'll make it better. Right. That's the most insulting thing of all time. Yeah, right. Like, we're going to improve <laughs> on Emily Dickinson's, like, her language choices. Oh, man. Oh, man. Editors are great, though. I, my editor makes my books better, but I am not Emily Dickinson. No, you are not. Hey, John. Yes. Want to answer some questions? Do I? I felt like we got to the questions really fast this time. Uh, well, it was an this, exceptionally this, short poem. Yes. This uh, this podcast is coming out on Monday, next yep. Monday. Will the Project for Awesome yep. still be going on then? Uh, you can still get perks. Yeah, so you'll still be able to get perks. the 48-hour live stream will probably have just ended. But if you go to your web browser and you search Project for Awesome 2015, um, you can still get perks. That's why I'm stressed out, by the way. It's because I'm working on my Project for Awesome video. Um, but yeah, so you can uh, go to, go to your browser, search for Project for Awesome 2015, and you can go to the Indiegogo, and there are amazing, amazing perks, including an exclusive episode of Dear Hank and John that will be released no other way. And That's right. I understand that most people will be listening to this not on Monday, and I apologize to them. But for those of you who really keep up and listen right when it comes out. That's for you. Check out that exclusive episode of Dear Hank and John. You can also get uh, things like uh, Hank and Catherine uh, watching Star Wars together, and then you can kind of play along by listening along, or Sarah and I uh, watching the movie Paper Towns together, which we did a couple nights ago, Hank. And um, we had like a bottle of wine when we started the commentary and then we did not have a <laughs> yeah. bottle of wine when we finished the commentary and you can really follow along as things devolve <laughs> <laughs> oh man that sounds good but there are lots of other perks from socks to hats you forgot about your poetry podcast oh yeah and there's a there's there's also a digital perk where you can get a, me reading you some poems I, in fact i re, i read you the poem that i just read you but the, the other version of it oh <laughs> um and also um also, uh, I read lots of longer poems, um, but there are lots of their amazing perks. You can get socks, you can get a hat, you can get nerd fighter art. Um, it's just, uh, it's a, you can get uh, me calling you on Christmas Day. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that. That's cool. So anyway, there's lots of great perks. Check it out at projectforawesome.com um, and all the money goes to benefit uh, charities chosen by the Nerdfighter community, um, or else Save the Children and the UNHCR, which are great organizations. So, um, yeah, now let's answer some questions, but definitely check out the Project for Awesome, unless it's already over, in which case, I'm sorry. There's a, it'll be, there'll be one next year. This question is from Monica, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm curious as to why you are able to find so many examples of farm animals, horses, pigs, chickens, goats, etc., going feral and living in the wild. Why is that not the case? For wild cows. <laughs> are they more valuable to humans than horses, and so we've kept better tabs on them? Or are they just dumber? Uh, understand I'm talking about your garden variety bovines, not bison or longhorn. But honest to goodness, cows. Wow. Well, John, I have news on this front. There are feral cows. No way. Uh, it happens. 
Yeah, yeah, it happens, and, uh, and and it has happened throughout the history of humans' relationship with cows. They get out, and then if if they can, the, the thing that needs to happen is that the females need to meet up with a male. Yeah, because otherwise you can just get the you can get the cows or the steers, uh, steers being neutered males, uh, to just you can just like rope them up or or herd them into a, a herd and be like, you're my cows now, thanks. Uh, now I have a bunch more money. So, uh, but what, what happens if they meet up with a bull is that suddenly the herd becomes dangerous, um, and you have to you you can't just walk up to it and be like you're my cows now. Ooh. That they will the the bulls will uh, protect the the cows from you. Um, but the reason why this isn't a real problem is because one cows are valuable, and so people will just take the wild ones. Uh, two, they are destructive, and so the government will help people take the wild ones. And three, they do not do what other feral animals do, which is run away. Uh. Cow herds just stand there. They stand their their ground, and they're like, you want to mess? Come mess. And then they shoot the bull, and mm. then they take the cows. Mm. So it's a pretty easy uh, feral infestation, quote-unquote, to take care of, uh, and that is why there are not herds of feral cows running all across America, because they cause a lot of destruction, they cause economic problems, and uh, and they're pretty easy to wrangle up, unlike feral pigs, for example, which are really good at hiding and running away and finding other things to do with their, you know, like, and also are, are good at living in places where they're, it's sort of difficult to access, like swamps and stuff. Speaking of which, I actually came across a feral pig recently here in Indiana Oh yeah, while I was hiking, and it was terrifying. It was only in the distance, but I mean, it was, it could have easily killed me. I have a very low tolerance when I am uh, out for a walk <laughs> for <laughs> mammal sightings. Like, I don't particularly like seeing human mammals, but I particularly dislike seeing non-human mammals that weigh more than about 12 pounds. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And uh, this cow, like a coyote will put the fear of God into me, even though I, I know rationally that I could fight off a coyote if I needed to. <laughs> but this this uh, this pig, I could not have fought it off. Yeah, I came across a, a group of feral pigs in, uh, in Florida once, and they were maybe 10 feet away from me. When I like when I spooked them and they ran away, which is really good because sometimes they run toward, uh, especially if they're if they're boars. And they yeah they are they're dangerous animals. And it's, do you know what a group of pigs is called, Hank? Uh, no, I do not. A drift. Oh wow, that's nice. A drift of pigs. Yeah, I like the word drift. It's a good one. All right, let's move on to the next question. Um, This comes from Cam, who writes, Dear John and Hank, as cold and flu season has been on the rise, I've noticed something strange. Generally, after people sneeze, we express empathy by saying things like, bless you, or gesundheit. But what do we do when people cough? Cam then goes on to explain, which is very true, that at least in the United States, when people cough, they themselves uh, often say, excuse me, as if they have done something wrong, or there is something they need to apologize for. Whereas when people sneeze, they never say excuse me, or rarely, yeah. because everyone around them is so busy blessing them. <laughs> well, first I'll say, uh, I want to ask you, John, is it an expression of empathy when we say bless you after someone sneezes? I don't feel like it is an expression. That's a great question. I don't feel like it is an expression of empathy. I feel like it's an ex- it's just the thing you do. I think it's, a, it's an expression of uh, cultural norm 
but it's but it's not like I'm, I don't feel bad for the person who just sneezed. I quite like sneezing, as, as, unless it's like I'm in the middle of a fit or something. But like one or two sneezes, I'm like, yeah, that was good. Uh, I yeah, so I, I don't think it's empathetic. Historically, it is not about empathy; it's about sympathy. Because when people were sneezing, they were believed with some good reason to be dying. <laughs> and therefore you would say, you know, God bless you here in your final days on earth, you sneezer. <laughs> also, get away from me. Uh, exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, or something like that. I, I would actually be really interested to, to know the, the deep origins of bless you. Um, I, I feel a little bit like it's just something to say. Which is why I quite like Gesundheit, which is more like to your health or something. Right. Um, also an acknowledgement of sympathy. Um, but I, concern. Yeah. I mean, I'm concerned that we don't say something about the cough because the cough is just as alarming as the sneeze. I think we e- either need to like put the cough and the sneeze yeah. in the same category where you either say, excuse me, my bad, I am very sorry for having coughed and or sneezed in this public situation, or... Or there's a universal bless you slash gesundheit that covers coughing, that encompasses coughing. I'm going to argue that we need to expand bless you to include coughing. Yeah, I I agree with you. And in fact, I do that or I have heard people do that. And I also say, excuse me when I sneeze. Uh, And I like not all the time, but if it feels appropriate, if it feels like I've interrupted someone or it's a public place and uh, or or there's like a performance going on and I've sneezed. Uh, Yeah. So I think that I think it can be both. And I and I live in a place where they say bless you when you cough as well. Fascinating. Uh, We are just we are just too, too polite. Okay, Hank, uh, we have another question. This one, it's just, this is a great question on so many levels. It's from Caitlin. She writes, Dear John and Hank, I recently got into the competitive Pokemon scene. By the way, if you want to know how to get your question on Dear Hank and John, uh, you should begin with, I recently got into the competitive Pokemon scene. (laughs) Um, I'm going to love any question that comes after that. I find that when I practice online at home, I play fairly well, but in the live tournament setting, my nerves get the best of me and make me play badly. Do you have any dubious advice for me? I do. Oh, yeah. Mine is practice. Just keep doing it. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's the trick. But John might have some better advice. Well, I think in general that confidence is very weird. Um, like the way that confidence functions inside of people fascinates me because, When you have confidence, it seems obvious that it matters and that it's worth having, and it seems obvious how you get it, right? You get it by having it. But when you don't have confidence, it's incredibly difficult to figure out how to acquire it Um, because like, it's both having confidence and not having confidence are feedback loops that can um, sort of spiral in into themselves. So in my experience, at least, the I agree with Hank that practice is important, but I also think like right before you go on or go out into the uh, competitive Pokemon uh, hallway where you play competitive Pokemon or wherever it is, hotel basement I'm imagining, <laughs> um, tell yourself, tell yourself, like whisper it to yourself so that you can hear yourself say it. I am a very good competitive Pokemon player. I I am going to do well. I am going to Charizard this mofo. (laughs) Right. Just repeat those words over and over and over again. 
Uh, this also works when it's not competitive Pokemon, by the way. Right before I go on stage for any event, I close my eyes and I just whisper to myself, it's time to Charizard this mofo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This question is from Phoebe, who asks, Dear Hank and John, this is not a question for asking advice. I was just wondering what both of you are looking at while recording the podcast. Do you video chat? What are you seeing while discussing human existence? What are you seeing, John? Uh, I'm seeing my computer screen. Uh, so, Rosiana, um, uh, my wonderful production partner and also uh, invaluable contributor to Dear Hank and John, Rosiana Hals Rojas, um, sends us an email every week with lots and lots of questions. Um, and so, I'm looking at that email, and uh, also I'm looking on my computer screen at the short poem that I just read. What are you looking at? Uh, well, I think that as as I make the podcast, I look at different things, but mostly my eyes just wander, and I sort of, my, my visual sense is kind of cut off, and I just li- listen to you, and I think about what I'm going to say, and I do not see a lot, but when I am seeing, I'm either looking at the, the, the audio track to make sure that it's recording correctly, and I'm looking out the windows at the snow falling down in random patterns. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. Or I, I might look at some of the art on my walls. Uh, when I say art, I mean, you know, Star Trek posters. And yeah, sometimes I grab this tube of, of travel-sized toothpaste and I squeeze it. I don't know why, <laughs> but that's the thing that I do during Dear Hank and John. <laughs> I think all of our lives are richer for knowing that, Hank. Um, <laughs> our next question comes from... Kate, who asks, Dear John and Hank, I just moved from the U.S. to Rwanda to work in international development. I'm in my 20s and single, and the expat community here is a lot of families. What advice do you have for someone without kids to make social connections with families? Thanks. Kate. Oh, my gosh. Um, I said that because there's lots of exclamation points at, at the end there. That's why I sounded <laughs> like that when I said thanks. Uh, um, I don't know. I, 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 am a, <laughs> I am not single, but I don't have kids, and all my friends do. Uh, and I just, uh, I just like them, you know, you just like scoop them up and you're like, Hey kiddo, what's up? Tell me about your trucks. And that's that. (laughs) Uh, and yeah, and that's all they need. Uh, just, yeah. Kids are great. They, they have a very, they have a very interesting way of looking at the world and I, I enjoy it. And I, I like it to inform the way I look at the world. It's not all about what's going to happen and what has happened. It's mostly about what's happening. Right. That's a great point about kids. Um, one of the things I really admire about Hank is the way that he talks to children in precisely the way, same way that he talks to adults. Um, <laughs> so, like, when Hank is talking to my children, if they say, like, if, like, if Henry is, like, Darth Sidious is the worst, is the worst in Star Wars, Hank will be like, well, that's not fair at all. <laughs> and then he'll... <laughs> And Hank will be like, don't you think that Darth Sidious is partly a result of his of his circumstances, Henry? Um, <laughs> have you really thought this through? Is there such a thing as good guys and bad guys? Or are ultimately we all somewhere in the middle and just coming into conflict? Uh, yeah, and Henry's like, check out this truck. I, I, Henry Henry recently did something that was uh, that was untoward while I was while I was watching him, uh, and I was I was disappointed in him uh, that he did that thing. And I said I said. Uh, well, he he had done something mean to Alice, and then he laughed. And yeah. I said to Henry, "What about that? Do you think was funny?" <laughs> and what did he say? <laughs> he he looked very kind of 
sad. He looked right. he he looked like he had been chastised, but I yeah. was I was legitimately interested in what what right. he thought was funny about that. Right, you weren't but, trying uh, to teach I did not him a lesson. An you were just curious. Um, yeah, <laughs> I wanted to know. Well, I think, but I think that gets to the answer, uh, which is that being curious, uh, like around kids, is great. Um, and so that would be my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice would be like when it comes to adults who have kids, I know it feels like particularly because you're probably significantly younger than most of them, that they are fundamentally different from you, that like they have something figured out that you don't, um, or that they're in like a fundamentally different part of life than you are. But I think over time, you'll find that that's not really totally true, that uh, we're all sort of like on this weird continuum and it doesn't have like, you know, one point as the start and another point as the finish. It's more like like random circles where you come backwards and go forwards and go up and down and in mm-hmm. through multiple dimensions. And so if you think of it just as like they're further along on the continuum than, than you are, then you'll never quite feel comfortable with them. But I don't think that's really I don't think that's really how it works. Yeah, it's interesting that as I've gotten older, I've realized that those moments in conversations where you don't have anything to contribute are not because you don't know as much as someone. They're not because you're not as old or in the same place as someone. It's just something that happens. Right. You know, you're going to be at a party and suddenly they're going to start talking about talking about like ultra marathon skiing. And you're going to be like, well, I don't have anything to add to this particular part of the conversation. So I will just stand here and learn about ultra marathon skiing quietly until the conversation changes to a different topic. Right. And that's fine. It's fine to not have anything to contribute. There, there isn't some rule of conversation that says every person needs to talk for equal amounts of time. Sometimes you just listen and, uh, and, and maybe people won't get to know you as much as you would like. But, uh, you know, it's, it's part of part of life and sometimes sometimes you don't know about a thing that other people are talking about and I am still made uncomfortable by that situation and I just try my best to be like okay I'm going to to listen to how these people talk about this topic and that's going to be interesting to me I agree I like it when you agree with me John no I was just trying to be in that situation where I don't have anything to add oh <laughs> It was funny. I was being, I was making it funny. I I apologize. Hey, John, this question is from Aoife, who asks, Dear Hank and John, uh, what would it mean for the planet if the North and South Pole suddenly reversed? In physics class, we were learning that this is a possibility, but what would happen? Compasses would be reversed and birds would fly the wrong way, but what other implications would it have for us? And most importantly, in what way will it make John think about death? What, are you kidding? I think we'd all die if there was a sudden reversing of polar, if the North Pole and the if like, if the Earth, like, spun upside down, I think that would be very bad for humanity. It would cause widespread death. It, uh, you know, it could be very bad for humanity, actually. It, it probably would be moderately bad, though. First, I'll say that birds probably won't fly the wrong direction. Birds use a number of different inputs uh, in, in their decisions to uh, migrate, and they may end up in the wrong spot, or they may get a little bit lost, or, or, or they, might, they might die. But they won't just get up and go the wrong way. Uh, they know they know landmarks as well as as being able to sense magnetic fields, which is really cool. And birds are really smart, and they would relearn how to migrate fairly quickly. And we've seen that when these magnetic pole reversals happen, they are not accompanied by uh, by 
increases in the the normal rate of extinction uh, as, as far as we can whoa, tell whoa, from whoa. the geographic data. What? Geologic data. Whoa, whoa, what? whoa, whoa, whoa. When, when they happen? This has happened before? Oh, yeah. It happened. Oh, sorry, John. Yeah, it happens regularly. It happens like once every 200,000 years. Wait, 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 wait. Like, so like the North Pole and the South Pole just suddenly reverse and the entire planet Earth flips upside down. Well, the planet Earth stays where it is, uh, but the the polarity of of the magnetic field reverses and it, it oh, would not oh it's just something that happens like deep inside the earth with magnetic fields it ha- it, yes it is a, it is the effect of something that happens deep inside the earth the, the problem is that it doesn't happen suddenly it happens over a, a fairly long period okay. of time and during that period of time the magnetic field is weakened okay. and and that's the real problem so you have more cosmic radiation hitting the surface of the earth we're still protected by the atmosphere so that's cool but we don't have that extra layer of the magnetic field protection us and that can create kind of weird atmospheric effects and you get like localized ozone holes that might then increase local cancer rates or you would have to have health advisories for people to put on more sunscreen that kind of thing and you could also end up with solar storms doing more damage than they otherwise would to our electricity infrastructure which is a thing that we talked about previously on dear hank and john yeah yeah i remember i remember how we don't have electricity for like Three, three years or something. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it could cause some some problems. It would mostly be a human problem. It would not be as much an ecological problem. Animals are pretty good at dealing with these things, turns out. We think, you know, that from, um, from, from our data. But I don't like human no, problems. No, yeah, obviously. Human problems are the ones that I worry about the most because I'm Hank, human. where should I rank the polarization of the Earth switching on my list of apocalyptic concerns. Very low. Uh, it, it is a thing that happens over a long period of time. If it were going to happen this year, we would have seen lots of effects already. Um, though we have noticed that the the very, very slightly, the magnetic field of, of the Earth has decreased in power uh, since we started measuring it. So we, we are probably on the way to one of these events, but it is probably hundreds of years away. Okay, so you would not... Uh, tell me if you would or would not change my, my top three uh, apocalyptic concerns which which are one uh human extinction via or or dramatic reduction in the human population via a a global nuclear uh conflict okay yeah i like i like that one two my uh personal death okay This would not be apocalyptic for right, right, the whole right, right. Earth, but it would be very bad for you. But it would be, it would arguably be the worst possible outcome for me. <laughs> Three, uh, the the band, the Mountain Goats, breaking up. Okay, and then four, uh, some kind of plague uh, that dramatically reduces the human population in quick, very very quickly, like. Um, like right. an exceptionally virulent bird flu or some such. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly... Do I have it right? No, I would put bird flu first. I would oh, put... Great. Uh, I would put a massive solar storm second. And I, w- I would put global nuclear war third. 
Uh, well, I would put mm-hmm. I would put your death first. Of all of these things, the most likely of them to happen is that you will die, uh, which doesn't actually <laughs> really doesn't make you feel better. Doesn't it? Doesn't make me feel better at all. I mean, first off, I guess that's true just by basic laws of probability, <laughs> since all of those things would involve me dying. <laughs> well, no, not necessarily. You'd probably survive a number of those things. You you will being a very. Do you think I'd survive a plague? Because based on everything I know about my physical constitution, I would not. <laughs> You have the advantage of being uh, a privileged person, and uh, oftentimes privileged people are more likely to survive these things. Uh, and just by That's virtue true. of being in America, we're, if we're talking about a significant decrease in global population, a lot of times that has that that uh, would not come along with a significant decrease in population in America, where we have resources to to help us with those sorts of things. All right. So just to organize my apocalyptic concerns, <laughs> one solar flare, okay, we, which wasn't even on the list until Dear Hank and John. Uh, two. I might put plague first. Okay. Uh, but, sorry. Apocalyptic plague, solar flare, uh, nuclear uh, mass nuclear war. Is that the top three? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, at least I know where I stand and I don't like it. <laughs> we have a question from David. I'm glad, I'm glad that you've got things to be worried about. John. I am also glad that I have things to be worried about. What would I do with my thoughts otherwise? This question is from David, who asks, Dear John and Hank, I'm a vicar in the Church of England and probably too old to be a real nerd fighter. I'm 33. I, there are lots of really old nerd fighters who are twice as old as you are or more. So don't don't worry about that. But yeah. I love your videos, your podcast. We, we are both older yeah, than we you. we are older nerd fighters. I love your videos, your podcast, and your determination to understand the world complexly. Thank you. That's very kind, David. What can we do to make the conversation better when it comes to religion? In a world where religious fundamentalism is becoming more and more of an issue. How can we learn to discuss and understand each other better? Um, I don't know what David's talking about. I think that uh, we have a really high quality of discourse uh, on the internet when it comes to religion. (laughs) I feel like people are respectful, they're thoughtful, and um, they never create ad hominem attacks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I, I mean... My number one answer to this is that the only thing that we can really do is try to model better behavior ourselves. And there's so much, at least in in myself, like there's so many shortcomings in the way that I act online and the way that I conduct myself uh, in public discourse that like I can I can be busy working on that and trying to be a better model for the rest of my life. Um, But I think the other thing is that we need to find we we all need to find communities that promote better kinds of conversation and we need to use platforms that promote better kinds of conversation. And that's, I think, what initially attracted Hank and me to online video was watching Zay Frank and thinking, well, this is a place where people are having really interesting, intelligent discussions. And that's why we wanted to be part of it. Um, and I mean, I hope that we're still looking for those places. And I know that lots of other people are always looking for those places. So um, I think we need to find those places, uh, encourage them, build them when we can. And that's basically the hope that I have. I'm. It is very frustrating. I watch it all the time. We have made a, a number of different videos about how this this attack culture has evolved and how we feel like, you know, like it has gotten worse. And then in the comments, we'll have people like saying like, yes, you are right. Those people totally do that. And I'm like, well, you, you are right now doing the thing that you're saying they are doing. 
And it, it's right. and it's difficult to identify in yourself, but once you do it and and like and it and like, you know, and continue to sort of monitor because I, I still catch myself <clears throat> believing these crazy things about other people because I only get uh I only get the side of the angry people uh you know i only get Mm -hmm. the the side of the angry opposition i never hear from actual humans who believe in things that i disagree with uh and you know it's it's a constant battle but eventually it starts to just make me ill to watch people i agree with make these ludicrous and and sort of like uh you know deeply uh flawed uh, attacks on people that they are are willfully being ignorant of, and uh, and and in intentionally misunderstanding, uh, and and doing that, I guess, to mobilize the base to uh, make political gains or whatever. But I just find it, I just have started to find it disgusting, and I think that that's. I think that 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 like making that something that is part of me I feel like is a good thing. And then like really get being more disgusted by the tactics than anything else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me it's about uh how we like the way that you would talk to a relative at the Thanksgiving dinner table with whom you have profound political disagreements or a neighbor is very different from the way we talk. We're talking right now. Uh, online about uh, all kinds of issues. And it becomes very, it becomes deeply dehumanizing so much that I think we become suspicious of other people's uh, motives. You know, I think Mm -hmm. the further someone is from us or the further we feel that they are from us, the more likely we are to think that um, there's something fundamentally different about them or something fundamentally less about them. and the best of the internet decreases the space between people, but the worst of the internet increases it and makes makes it easier to see other people as not human. And that's the part of it that just absolutely, yeah, I mean, it's just heartbreaking for me to see on all sides. I mean, I don't think that it's, I, I think that it's almost a universal way of being on the internet right now. And it's just super depressing. Cats! Think about there's there's cute cats in the world. Think about them for a second. Speaking of super depressing. Yeah. Hank, I want you to close your eyes. Okay. And I want you to just whisper slowly and confidently to yourself, I am going to Charizard this mofo. I'm going to Charizard this mofo. <laughs> um, we have a great question. Uh, it's a great last question for today because we have, we, we have to get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Uh, it's a question from Ben who writes, Dear John and Hank, it's been a very chaotic spring here in Sydney, Australia this year. We've had 40 degrees Celsius days. I think that's warm. Followed by cold and damaging ha- hailstorms. It also seems that this summer already will be one of extreme brush fire danger. And Taylor Swift performed in Sydney last night. Oh, God. To say that I am concerned after the clear meteorological causation, which John observed in in Indiana, would be an understatement. Are we in for a horribly hot summer here in Sydney, thanks to Taylor Swift? Um, yes. I, I think that that, I, I, the way that I understand climate science anyway, uh, yeah, absolutely. I believe that is correct. Now, you can't predict the weather. Um, weather is different from climate, Ben. That's important. But Taylor Swift does affect the climate. 
<laughs> I thought she affected the weather. Oh, my bad. I can't. I can never remember. One. <laughs> it's it, okay. Hank, uh, help me remember this. It's either Taylor Swift or global carbon <laughs> emissions that affects climate, and then the other affects like what the weather is like on a day to day basis. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Swift affects weather. Global carbon emissions affect climate. Uh, though the climate does, in the end, also affect weather. Uh, just not not uh, on the on the day to day basis that we tend to think about it. Uh, and I would say that the com- combined effects of global warming and Taylor Swift can only mean bad things for Australia. I do not know why you allowed her to enter the country. <laughs> I think that the larger concern is why uh, Australia is not doing a better job at leading the charge against climate change. <laughs> um, but the, well, there's one one thing that is just much easier to control, and that is that is the travel habits of a 22 year old woman. <laughs> Knowing that she brings warmth and light wherever she goes, why would you allow her to come to an already warm and bright country? I apologize. Taylor Swift is 25 years old, obviously because she was born in obviously 1989. I didn't want to say anything, but that was embarrassing, <laughs> Hank. You're better than that. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I had to do real fast math, John. Guess how old Adele is. Uh, I think she's also 25. <laughs> um, so it's, it's great that uh, that musicians are doing this now. Uh, it's so that we don't have to remember their ages. They just they just either title their albums after their birth year or after how old they are. Adele is, in fact, 27 years old. What? I'm just telling you a fact. She was born on May 5th, 1988. Oh, she is eight years that's... to the day older than my brother Hank. Yeah. Younger, though. Oh, yeah, right. Sorry. Damn it. I was so pleased with my joke. <laughs> Too bad I'm not 19. That would be amazing. Hank, what is the news from Mars? Uh, no, John. We have, to, we have a couple of steps before that. Oh, sorry. We have to tell everybody that the podcast is brought to you by people who recently got into competitive Pokemon. <laughs> uh, people who recently got into competitive Pokemon. Really arousing John Green's interest. I am so into Caitlyn's competitive Pokemon tournaments. I want to... Fu- you know that from now on, we're going to get a ton of questions that are like, I recently got into competitive Pokemon, uh, and my mom is... Uh, well, I, she's she's hiding my money from me. Hank! And it's like, that's not... No, no, no. has anything no. to do. And everybody's going to start their question that way. Hank, if we can begin getting actual questions from the competitive Pokemon community, from more members of that community, I welcome them. If it's people who are just lying about being in the competitive Pokemon community, well, that's terrible. Why would you do such a thing? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Today's podcast is also brought to you by the apocalypse. The apocalypse coming soon, and we don't know how. Oh, dang it, you stole mine. Oh, I'm sorry. Of course, that's the one you're thinking about. Today's, today's podcast is brought to you by Cooperative Internet Discourse. Cooperative Internet Discourse. It's out there, I guess. <laughs> and of course, today's podcast is also brought to you by cows. Ah. Cows. Mostly staying where they are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Today's podcast is also brought to you by our Patreon patrons. You can go to Patreon uh, right now. There's a website, 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 patreon.com, where you can uh, support Dear Hank and John directly, um, since we don't have any ads, actual ads. Um, 
And you can choose whether you want to be an AFC Wimbledon uh, Patreon supporter or a Mars Patreon supporter. Hank, in terribly alarming news, right now, there are three Mars supporters for every one AFC Wimbledon supporter. I just don't understand it. It's a cold, dead rock in the lifeless vacuum of space. Well, John, I do have to say, however, that there's a third category. Uh, which is neither, yes. if I'm being honest, which is beating both yeah. Mars and AFC Wimbledon. However, if you combine both Mars and AFC Wimbledon, those people outweigh, thank goodness, the neither, if I'm being honest, people. So that's that's just fantastic yeah. news that, that there aren't more neither, if I'm being honest, than people who are interested in any of what we talk about for the last quarter of the podcast. But I understand their perspective. Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year. For $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Well, the news from AFC Wimbledon this week is that tonight, Hank, tonight, the Merton Town Council or whatever, the city count, the area council, the, the elected representatives of Merton will vote on whether AFC Wimbledon will receive permission to begin building their new stadium in the historic home of Wimbledon. Before all of this happened, before their team was taken away and stolen away to Milton Keynes, before they restarted the club on a public park uh, in Wimbledon in 2001, before all of that happened, their home was Plow Lane. And tonight is the night they find out from the government if they are going to receive permission to build uh, the new Plow Lane Stadium. It would be an incredible moment in Wimbledon's history. It would be the fulfillment of of all of the dreams that, that brought the club together in 2001. It is a huge moment. So by the time this podcast is made and, and out there, we'll know. But uh, for right now, I am uh, nervous and excited and hopeful uh, that the the town will see fit to um, allow them to build a stadium. John, let me know when the news is 
is out so that I can put it in the podcast description uh, when I upload this episode so that people will know the news from AFC Wimbledon. Not just that there will be news from AFC Wimbledon, we promise. (laughs) And what is the news from Mars? There is a company in the desert of California, well, operating a a robot in the desert of California, Honeybee Robotics, testing a drill that could drill miles below the surface of Mars in the search for geological data, for information on where all of Mars's water went, and the potential of finding life on Mars. Uh, it's mm. about a 16-foot-tall drill, and they think that they might be able to pack it onto a, uh, a spacecraft that they will send to Mars and uh, get send, send a robot there to, to drill deep into the surface of Mars to see what's down there. Because, of course, most of what we know about Mars uh, is, is, is pictures of the surface. Secondarily, mm-hmm. we have, like, very shallow scrapings and drillings from our rovers. But really, we have not gotten down below a couple of inches uh, below the surface. And, and that would be, uh, obviously, there's a lot going on down below the surface of Mars, potentially more going on below the surface of Mars than there is on the surface because of this intense solar radiation that Mars receives because it doesn't have a magnetic field, which it once had, and then it turned off. Hopefully, that's not what's happening here on Earth. If if indeed wait, the magnetic wait, 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 field wait, 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 wait. of that Earth can is, is not flipping, but is turning off, and then that would be a truly apocalyptic scenario. However, it is not happening. So that's good news. Okay. Uh, God, you'd be yeah. absolutely panicked for a second. But because, um, but because of this bombardment that the surface of Mars receives, there's very little going on on the surface aside from a little bit of climatological stuff, some winds, and uh, and some great geology. But down below the surface, we have already seen that there is indeed flowing water. So that could be something else. Well, uh, I'll tell you this, Hank. Uh, when they build the new Plow Lane Stadium. There will also be drills involved, but <laughs> probably it's just a matter drills. of just dri- driving them to South London. Yeah, you could go to South London and look at drills or anywhere. You could go to my basement and look at some drills. But apparently the fact that we're going to build one that can go to Mars is a big deal. I'm just kidding. That is a big deal. I'm very excited for you. I can't wait to find out what's happening 16 feet under Mars. Miles. Miles, 16 miles under. Well, that's even more exciting. That's much deeper than we're going to have to uh, dig to build the foundation for the new Plow Lane Stadium. So, um, so that, yeah, that's cool. I don't know. Maybe we will. It'd be cool to build a, j- just a really deep foundation so nobody could ever move it again. <laughs> We've had, our, had too many bad things happen to the club. We're just going to build a 16-mile deep foundation to ensure that really <laughs> Not no going one anywhere. can ever move this the club The planet of again. the apes. It'll be the Statue of Liberty and this football stadium. <laughs> It'll be that's right. That's right. After our magnetic field turns off and all humans are irradiated, there it will still be, the new plow lane <laughs> in South London. Okay, Hank, well, what did we learn today? We learned that saying bless you when someone coughs is a completely acceptable and normal thing to say and should become more acceptable along with Gesundheit. And if you want to say excuse me when you cough or sneeze, that's up to you. Uh, we also learned that there are feral cows, just not for very long. <laughs> 
We learned that John Green has a top three potential global apocalypse list, which I did. I didn't know that was a thing about you. And now I'm worried that in in the coming <laughs> weeks it's going to expand to become a top ten list, and we're gonna have to keep track of it and make sure everybody knows what's on top. Um, I mean, I didn't know that there was an opportunity to share all of my top ten. I didn't know that we had time. Believe me, I have a top ten. <laughs> and of course. Uh, We also learned that soon enough, we won't just be on Mars, we'll be 16 miles underneath it. I don't, I never said 16 miles, I don't know where you got that from, but we will not just be on Mars, we will be in it. Well, I'm really bad at math, so there you go. No, I'm really, (laughs) not not really math, when you're just making up numbers. I guess it is. It is, it is math, it is math when you're making up numbers, trust me, Henry does it every day. Um... All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, You can submit your questions uh, to hankandjohn at gmail.com or on Twitter by using the hashtag DearHankAndJohn. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. The theme music is from Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.